This is my city. These are my people. I've seen a lot of things in this town. Things I don't like. Bad people taking advantage of the weak. Good people down on their luck. Innocent people suffer. Talk to God a lot. Sometimes he talks back. So I ask him, "When are you going to do something about all this?" You know what his answer was? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My name is Habakkuk. This is my story. Good morning, everybody. Take out your Bibles this morning, and good luck finding the book of Habakkuk. It is in there. It's in the Old Testament. If you go to the end of your Old Testament, to the book of Malachi, or the Italian prophet Malachi, however you like to say that, go back about four books from there, four or five books, and you'll find the little, small, three-chapter book of Habakkuk. We're going to begin in Habakkuk chapter 1 today. It's on page 380, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. So turn in your Bibles, your mobile devices, your iPads, your Kindles, your mini iPad. Anybody get the new mini iPad yet? Anybody got that yet? All right. I'd love to have one of those for Christmas, hint, hint. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me ask you this as you find your way to Habakkuk. You know, there are some questions in life that if we're honest, they're very difficult to answer. Questions like this. Why do they say that an alarm clock is going off when it's really coming on? I'll let you think about that for a minute. Here's another tough question. Uh, why is it people say, I slept like a baby last night? Moms, that makes no sense, does it? <laughs> Parents that had little children, babies wake up every two hours. I don't know, why do we say that? I slept like a baby. How about this one? If you throw a cat out of a moving car, is that called kitty litter? I'm sorry. I had to that one. Please don't send me any mean emails. I like cats as long as they're not mine. I've never done that. Tried it with a truck once, but no, just kidding. Speaking of difficult questions, trying to answer difficult questions, Habakkuk in this three-chapter book has a driving question that we're going to look at the next three weeks, and you have it in your notes. And here's the driving question of the book of Habakkuk. Why doesn't God seem fair? You ever wondered that? Why doesn't God seem fair? Then look at verse 2. Just, I mean, you get right into the very beginning of Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, and Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry out and you'll not hear? Even cry out to you violence injustice, and you will not save. Why, God, do some things not seem fair? Some of you want to know the answer to that question. Why doesn't God seem fair? Where are you, God, in this situation or this event? People are asking questions today like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do good things sometimes seem to happen to bad people? Why, why does the jerk at work that treats everybody bad and comes in late all the time seems to get the promotion and the person who has character and integrity and works hard doesn't get ahead? Why does the person who lives the immoral life and a party life their whole life and, and does things that could be destructive to their body lives to be 102 and the godly father dies of cancer at 42? 
Why, why does that happen? Well, why do godly parents, kids, sometimes seem to turn out messed up when sometimes ungodly parents seem to have kids that turn out okay? Why do we try to handle our finances in a godly, biblical way and be good stewards of our money and make a budget, and yet it doesn't always seem like maybe God's blessing us, and then someone else that doesn't have anything to do with God, doesn't give, doesn't, isn't a good steward of their money, it seems like God blesses them financially. Why is it, God, that it seems like other people's prayers get answered, but my prayers don't always get answered? Why am I struggling with health problems? God, it seems like you could do something but you don't. Where are you, God? Why is it that sometimes life doesn't seem fair? Now, I want you to understand, Habakkuk was a man who loved God. He was deeply committed to God. But like so many people, Habakkuk crashed, crashed head-on into a faith wall in his life. The things that he saw happening around him didn't line up with what he believed in his heart about God. And it was a very difficult season and time in his life. I mean, he had this incredible great faith in God, and he loved God, and he was called by God, and he was, we believe, a prophet of God. But yet he looked all around his city and his life and people's lives, and he saw a lot of injustice and unfairness, and he said, what I see with my eyes doesn't line up always with what I believe in my heart about God and about his word, and maybe some of you can relate. Let me give you a little bit of context of the book of Habakkuk before we just dive into this. Habakkuk is called what is called one of the 12 minor prophets. He, he never made it to the majors. He never got the big Nike contract. No. The reason it's called a minor prophet is because it's one of the smaller books in your Bible. So the minor prophets are the ones that there's just two or three or four chapters. The major prophets, you know, there's 30, 40, 50 chapters. Um, Habakkuk was probably a temple musician who became a prophet and a priest. There's not a lot that we know about Habakkuk. He, but the most important thing is he was a prophet, which means he was a spokesman for God. God would say something to Habakkuk, and he would say, now I want you to tell this and relay this message to my people. And God has got a tough message for Habakkuk to share with God's people that we're going to look at in this book. It was written around 600 B.C., give or take a few years. And it was during a time when God's people, which is Israel, had fallen away from their God. They become very corrupt, very disobedient, very wicked and ungodly. And so God has this message for his people that he's going to send through Habakkuk. And the message is basically this. The people that I love are becoming increasingly wicked and disobedient. So I'm going to send one of their enemies, who's even more wicked than them, to destroy them and punish them for their disobedience. And Habakkuk is like, what? Huh? That, that's not fair, God. That doesn't make sense to me. And maybe there's a reason why God chose Habakkuk to give this message, because this is really interesting. You know, names really mean something in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And let me give you the definition of Habakkuk's name. It means this. It means to embrace or to wrestle. To embrace or to wrestle. Or if you're from the deep south, wrestle. I was a wrestler in high school, and it's wrestle. It's not wrestle. Please do not call it wrestling. But his name, Habakkuk, means to embrace or to wrestle. And as we go through the book of Habakkuk, we're going to watch Habakkuk wrestle with God through some tough questions and tough times, but yet at the same time embrace God during those difficult times. Now, I'm going to warn you guys right now. This is just a short three. This is the shortest book of the Bible study, verse by verse, we've ever done. It's three weeks, and then we're going to be hitting Christmas, and we're going to do a special Christmas series in December you're going to really enjoy. 
And what we're going to see in Habakkuk that's different than a lot of books and, and messages you've heard is this is not a sitcom sermon. What do I mean by that? I mean, how many of you guys grew up in like the 70s and 80s and remember the popular sitcoms of 70s, 80s? You know, like the Brady Bunch. Here's a story of a lovely lady. I mean, I've seen every episode of Brady Bunch like a hundred times. I still like that show. Don't tell anybody. Or, or how about this sitcom? Happy Days. Tuesday nights, man. I think seven o'clock. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I'll stop saying it. That's why I'm not trying out for the worship team. Singers. But, but you had these sitcoms. Or how about this one? Three's Company. Come on, knock on my door. Did, how many of y'all watch Three's Company? <laughs> and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> my mom and dad would not let me watch Three's Company. I had to sneak it. But you know what would happen in those sitcoms? Those sitcoms, here's what would happen. You'd have 30 minutes and there would be a little tension in the plot little bit of humor, and then by the end of it, 30 minutes, commercials and all, everything would be tied up nice and neat, the problems would be solved, and everything is wonderful, and everybody lived happily ever after. All in 30 minutes. And, and a lot of people like sitcom sermons that are like that. A little humor, a little tension, but at the end there's always a nice poem, a really neat story, and we try to make everything okay, and then we go on with life as if everything's okay. The problem is... It's not always okay, is it? You're not going to get that kind of message in Habakkuk, a nice little sitcom message. In fact, it's just the opposite. But it does resemble what I believe is closer to real life that we live in today and what we experience. Tension, drama, difficulties, some difficult unanswered questions. But yet there's still always hope with God, amen? Let's begin just right here in Habakkuk chapter 1, the first three verses. And notice the second word in this book, the, let's say, the, what's the next word? The burden. Everybody say burden. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. I mean, he had a burdensome message that he had to share with God's people. It was a real burden on his heart, what he was seeing, and it was going to be a burden, what he was going to have to share that God tells him to tell his people. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? He's got this burden. Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. It doesn't seem fair. Why do you know me, or excuse me, show me iniquity, sin, and cause me to see all this trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise. I mean, Habakkuk is looking around and he, he's saying everything it seems unjust, it seems unfair, I, I don't get it. And, and what God gave Habakkuk was this burdensome message. And, and what Habakkuk is going to say basically to God is, God, I, I don't like this. I don't want to tell them this. It doesn't seem fair. It, it would sound a lot like this today. Okay, God, I, I believe in you and I trust you. However, this doesn't make sense to me. H how is it that the drunk driver on his third DUI still is on the road and he runs over a four-year-old and they're killed and he's fine? I don't get it, God. What's, what's up with that, God? The girl that hops from bed to bed and man to man and gets pregnant over and over and abortion after abortion, and then you've got this godly couple that would desperately love to have a child and they can't seem to get pregnant. God, that doesn't make sense. We, we don't get it. Um, a man, how is it, God, that a man can go into a theater and kill innocent people? Come on, God. Or, or that a 10-year-old girl named Jessica Ridgeway could be abducted and killed. God, where are you? This is very timely for all of us, isn't it, church? 
Where are you, God? And, and notice what Habakkuk says in verse 4. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never seems to go forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgments proceeds. Habakkuk's problems with God could basically be summed up in these three ways. You have them in your notes. Let me give them to you. God, you don't seem to care. You, you would, if you did, you would do something. Number two, you aren't doing much when you could. Now, there's some respect in that because Habakkuk's like going, I know you're the all-powerful God and you can do anything, but why aren't you? And then number three, what, are you, what you are doing, God, doesn't seem to be so fair. It doesn't make sense. In other words, it's like Habakkuk saying, God, if I were in your shoes, I would do things totally differently. Now, let's be honest this morning. We're going to be very human and honest in this. Have you ever felt that way? Raise your hand. Have you ever felt that way? Be honest. God, if I were God, I would do things differently. Let, raise your hand again, nice and high. Really? Is it, is it okay to feel that way? Is it okay to raise your hand? I mean, if we admit that, that sometimes we're like, God, if I were you, I would do things differently. If we, if we admit that, is God going to like make us all have flat tires this afternoon and give us hemorrhoids by midnight and... <laughs> The Broncos are going to get annihilated? I mean, wait, what, what are you going to do to us, God? I mean, is it okay to question God's activity? Let me say this. I've said it before. I don't believe it's wrong to ask questions of God. We just got to make sure we don't question God. And there's a difference. It's okay to ask God the tough questions. In fact, there are times where asking God the tough questions are a significant part of our faith journey. Asking God the tough questions. He's God. He can handle them. He can help us answer them. And there's biblical... I think sometimes as Christians we think, I can't ask God a question. I can't wonder. I can't feel like, you know, maybe God's unfair. Thank God for Habakkuk. He's right where a lot of us have been or we are or may some, at some point be. And, and I see as I study the scriptures, there's lots of biblical examples of godly people struggling and asking God the tough questions. You read the Psalms. You read godly men in Psalms and they're, they're crying out to God going, what's going on, God? When are you going to be just, God? When are you going to be fair? You know, when are you going to help me, God? When are you going to rescue me? There's a whole book in your Bible of a man asking God questions. It's Job. Job is, has these terrible things happen to him. He's, he starts asking God questions. The book of Lamentations. Godly people crying out to God with their tough questions. And let me just remind you of last Sunday when we finished the book of Mark. Jesus himself on the cross to his heavenly father asked his father, My God, my God, why? Why? And too many people, I think, are afraid to bring their tough questions to God. And this is a very important part, as I said, of our faith journey, taking honest, tough questions to God. Now, here's where a lot of people are. They're like Habakkuk. What do you do when what you see with your eyes is different than what you believe in your heart about God? That was Habakkuk's challenge. And, and I want to draw a little picture over here for you guys that I'm hoping is going to help you today. And you have this in your notes. And we're going to refer to this the next couple of weeks. And we're going to call this... The dip. The dip. And this is what I want to look at. And if you want, you could draw along um, on your paper. 
This is where a lot of people start out in their spiritual journey. This is where you come to faith in Christ. You know, maybe you're here today and, and uh, you've recently accepted Christ. You know, you, you heard the gospel message and people witnessed to you. And somewhere along the way, you know, you realize that you are a sinner separated from God. And you want a relationship with God. And you realize the only way to do that is by faith in Christ. And you accepted him as Lord and Savior. And you began this faith journey right here of salvation. And do you all remember back when you first accepted Christ, kind of what it was like early on? Man, I mean, you're, you're just, your life just came alive. And I mean, you're, you're going to God and you're asking for prayers and God's answering your prayers and you're starting up this, this hill of this faith journey and God's answering your, your prayers and you go to church and every message, you're like, oh, that was for me. I just know the pastor like studied my life this week and man, that really spoke to me and you're meeting new friends and new people that really love you and care about you. You get in a small group and man, you're, you're really growing and you come in and the worship songs just, you mean, you're in tears almost every time you hear the songs sang and you know, you're, you're, you're seeing God do incredible things in your life. You're, you're starting to witness to your friends, and they're like thinking you're crazy because like, whoa, I don't know what happened to you. What have you been doing? And, and you're on fire for God, and you're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And I mean, you're, 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 you're praying, God, I need a good parking spot at the mall, and there's one right in the front. And you're like, whoa, God, yeah! And, and you're up here. You're up here on the top of the mountain. You're on this spiritual high. It's the honeymoon of the Christian life. And, and that's where you're at, and everything seems to be going perfect, and everything seems to be going wonderful and, and, and great. But then real life starts to happen. And, you know, you, you go to church, and maybe the message, eh, didn't do as much for you that day. You didn't really get it. You know, you, you ask it for some prayers to be answered, and you don't see them being answered like they were before, you know, and you're trying to witness to people and, and they're like, get out of my face, you know, what are you talking about? And somebody, even at church or in your small group said something that was kind of offensive to you, you know, hurt your, hurt your feelings and, you know, that didn't seem to work. And somebody you really love and care about gets really sick and, and you know, it's, it's Christmas season, you're praying for that front row parking spot and you're in the very last spot in the whole lot and you're going, wait, and you're right here. And you're going, wait a minute, God. What I see is not lining up with what I believed about you back here and what was going on right here. And real life begins to take place and real life begins to occur and begins to happen. Now, when this happens, and we've all seen it happen, and we've probably many of us have experienced it, there's a couple of different reactions that you see people do with this. What some people do is they go, you know what, I'm just going to deny reality and, and I'm going to try to go back here as quick as I can and, and you know, I'm going to act like everything's okay and, and it's no big deal and my prayers are getting answered even though they may not be getting answered and people aren't being mean to me even though they might be being mean to you and, you know, and, and we deny reality, which I think is very dangerous because we can only deny reality so long, right? And that's very dangerous. Some people will try to get back on the spiritual high through emotion and denying reality and that doesn't really work. Here's what other people do. They want to go all the way back right here. They go, you know what, God? This isn't working out like I thought. This isn't what I promised. This isn't what I was experiencing over here. So you know what? God forgets you. And then they just kind of walk away. How many of y'all have seen people do this say yes? Maybe you've done it. And so people make the choice to try to deny reality or people make the choice to try to just say, you know, forget you, God. I'm just going to go back. And, and sometimes they just walk away and they get out of church and Sometimes walk away from God even for a while. And they, they think these are the only two choices. 
But I want to suggest to you this morning, these aren't the only two choices. There's another choice. There's a more difficult road, but more rewarding road in the end. And it's a road that says, you know what, God? I'm going to continue to trust you no matter how difficult things are around me. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to wait it out. And let me, let me warn you. If you're here right here, this is what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief. You believe in God, but things around you aren't making sense and don't seem fair. So what are you going to do now? Are you going to try to deny reality? Are you going to run away from God? Or are you going to let that crisis of belief take you down? Maybe even it might get worse and more difficult before it gets better. I will tell you that. But if you're willing to hang on to God, let him take you through the valley. And remember what the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are, say it church, you're with me. And you allow God to take you through that valley and take you on a journey that builds your faith and strengthens your faith and strengthens your life and your dependence and faith and security. And God will want to take you to a place where you are closer to him and you have more faith and security in him than you've ever had in your entire life. If that makes sense, say yes. That's what we're talking about here. Which direction are you going? Are you going to stick with God? You know, when you get to that valley, that, that crisis of belief that says, I'm still going to trust God, even when I can't trace God, even when I don't understand it. And I want to say to all of you that everyone that I know who has an incredible, deep, intimate faith relationship with God that's here had to go through here. You don't get here without going through here. But unfortunately, a lot of people get here with this Christ's belief and they bail out when the best may just be around the corner. That's what we're talking about. Well, what do you do when you're in that crisis belief? Which direction do you turn? And, and I love this verse in James. Listen to how James says it in, reli- in relation to this picture here. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. That is a picture of that verse and that journey that God wants to take you on if you're willing to let him. God may lovingly allow you to go through a season of doubts questions, fears, insecurities, and unanswered questions because he'll do something in you he could do no other way except to take you through that dip and that journey. I can tell you that Shelly and I have been on this journey. We'll celebrate 20 years of marriage the day after Christmas. And it was about 10 years ago. We were up here on the mountain in our life, in our family, in our ministry. We were, I was pastoring a small church in Indiana. I'd been there about five years. We had seen hundreds of people to come to Christ, baptized, discipled. Ministry was growing, going forward. Man, we were, we were on the mountaintop. God had blessed us with two beautiful children. And I made the mistake <laughs> of saying one day, you know, I hear these incredible stories of people who've had horrible, difficult things to happen to them and go through the valley, and then God brought them through. And I said to Shelly, you know, we've never really had anything horrible happen to us. We've never had anything life-changing like that happen. Bad mistake. God was listening. 
It wasn't a month after that that we began to go through some trials in our life, in our ministry. We began to realize that one of the people on my own team, my own staff at that time was my associate pastor, that he wanted to take the church one direction and I wanted to take the church another direction to be relevant in our community and knew that we still had to make some hard choices to reach new people and new families in our community and we're going to have to still keep working on our music and different things that we're doing in our children's ministry and he kind of wanted to be more conservative and go this other direction and what I didn't realize was behind the scenes he was getting his coup together and getting his buddies and, and so things began to get difficult, we began to argue, we were not on the same page and things began to get really difficult in our life and our ministry. It came to an impasse in our relationship that if we stayed, it would have been him versus us and us versus him, and we would have split that church right down the middle. And listen, I don't ever want to be a part of a church split. And I said, you know what, I'm going to make this really easy. Even though I have no clue what we're going to do, I have no clue where we're going to go, I hadn't sent a resume out to anybody, I said, we're going to step away and we'll just trust God. And I made that decision right here, and it was a crisis of belief. I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come. The church had promised us a severance. And once he, he, said, he, he said he was going to resign too. And we both resigned on a Sunday morning together. Sunday night they had a church meeting. He showed back up and recanted his resignation. And said, I'll go ahead and lead the church and be the interim pastor. Hmm, worked out really nice, didn't it? But we kept to what God had called us to do. And we said, you know what? We're not going to be a part of this. We're going to move on and see what God has. And then he made a choice to remove any severance. We, we didn't know where our, where our next paycheck was going to come from. And we, we reached a crisis of belief, and I remember many sleepless nights and crying out to God saying, why, this doesn't seem fair. God, I don't get it. And I was at a crisis of belief, and there was a point, I think I admitted it to Shelley later. I didn't want to at the time because I wanted to be the strong spiritual leader of my home. But I really wondered, do I even want to continue in ministry? Do I even want to do this? Maybe I should just go do something else, you know, sell cars or something, I don't know. Be a real estate, I don't know, Whatever. I want to do, maybe I should just do something else. And, and I felt in my spirit, God say, hang in there. I got a call a couple days later from a man in our church that was starting a brand new business. And he said, listen, I know you're good with people. I want you to help market my business. I, I can't promise you long term, but if you can give me eight weeks, I'll pay you for eight weeks. And things got tougher, but we, we trusted God. And we got down here in the valley, and we were right down here at the bottom. And that eight weeks was right about to end. And he said, I can only do eight weeks. And my last paycheck was going to come. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And I got a call from a church in Colorado. And I hadn't sent out any resumes. Because I still wasn't even sure if God wanted me in ministry, what I was going to do. I was hurt so bad. And I waited on God. I got this call from a church in Colorado. And they said, listen, we, we know, that we've heard through the grapevine that you, you're not part of your church. You resigned your church. And we know you, you're really good with students. We know you're really good with discipleship. Would you come and help us here in Colorado? And what is crazy is Shelly and I had always said we felt like God was calling us to plant a church. And if it was our choice, we would always have chosen Colorado. And we get a call from Colorado. I mean, out of nowhere. And we said, well, you know, we feel like God may be calling us to plant a church. And he said, great, we need more churches in Colorado. Come help us for a couple of years, and then we'll send you out with our blessing, help you get support, and you can start a church. And you know what? The trying of our faith produced patience, and we let patience have its perfect work, that we would be complete and lacking nothing. And look what God's done today. And that would have never happened if we were not willing to go on that journey my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the trying of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete, perfect, and lacking nothing, getting to the top of that. That's where, now listen, here's where some of you are today. 
Some of you today are right here. You're in a crisis of belief. You're right here on this downslope, and you're not sure, should I try to go here and deny reality? Should I just walk away from God, or am I willing to take this? Chapter 1 of Habakkuk is all about wondering. Wondering. Where is God? Why isn't this fair? I don't get it. That's chapter 1 of Habakkuk. Wondering. And too many people walk away in chapter 1 of Habakkuk in the crisis of belief where they're wondering, God, where are you? And this is an important part of your faith journey. And this is exactly where Habakkuk is in chapter 1. What are you doing, God? Where are you? Now, he's asking these questions to the right person who can answer. And God is going to respond to his crisis of belief and his wondering and all of his tough questions. But Habakkuk is not going to like God's answer. But he is going to respond. Let's look at God's response here in verse 5. Look among the nations. This is God speaking to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded, blown away, amazed. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. God's saying to Habakkuk, listen, you're asking me all these tough questions and why it isn't fair. I'm going to give you an answer. But when I give you the answer, you're going to be like, what? That's not the answer I wanted. That doesn't make sense. For indeed, he said, here's his answer, I am raising up the Chaldeans, also known in the Bible as the Babylonians. Whenever you hear Chaldeans or Babylonians, you should go, boo. Let's try it. Boo. Yes. These are evil people, the enemies of God and his people. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Four of you got it. Great. A bitter... And hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They take things that don't belong to them. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. They're, they're very barbaric people. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle and they hasten to eat and devour whatever they can that doesn't belong to them. They, are, they all come for violence. They kill people, they murder, their faces are set like the east wind and they gather captives like sand, taking people as their prisoners and their slaves. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They have no respect for anybody in authority. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earth and mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power, all their power to who? His God. And not the God, but a false God. An idol. And what God is saying to Habakkuk is, my people are bad, but the Chaldeans, there you go, are worse. And I know you hate them, but I'm going to use them to punish you. And Habakkuk's like, what you talking about, Willis? Some of y'all got that. Some of you young people are like, what's that? Habakkuk is like, God, I'm asking you all these tough questions and you, they, they don't make sense. I don't get it. It doesn't seem fair. And this is the answer? You're going to use our enemies to destroy us and punish us? What? Huh? This doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. And so what do you do when you're in the middle, like Habakkuk of chapter 1, in this crisis of belief and you're not sure what to believe? You want to, but you have so many unanswered and unexplained questions. Here, and here's the question this morning, if we're honest, that we're wrestling with, like Habakkuk. Can you still be a deeply committed Christian with a lot of questions? And, and, and I believe this next statement you have in your notes is going to be very freeing to a lot of you this morning. Get it down. 
a deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith. I'll say it again. A deeply committed Christian, like Habakkuk, can simultaneously, at the same time, express questions and faith. In other words, you can believe God and yet still not be completely sure of some things. I hope that's very freeing to some of you this morning. You know, we saw this through the Gospel of Mark. Remember in Mark chapter 9, when there was a father who had a son who was possessed by by demons and an evil spirit ever since he was born, and he had prayed, and he'd asked God to take it away time and time again. And in chapter 9 of Mark, he comes to Jesus, and he's like, can you heal my son? And Jesus is like, I can if you believe. And remember the man's response? I do believe, Jesus, but help my unbelief. I I believe, Jesus, I know you can, but I've asked 100,000 times and and it's never happened. I believe, help my unbelief. That man was right where Habakkuk is in chapter 1 of the crisis of belief. He's right where a lot of you may be today or you've been in your life or you will be. And Jesus said to him, listen, you're here. You're in the middle. You're in a crisis of belief. But if you'll hang in there, if you'll hold on, I'm going to do something so miraculous that it's going to take you up here to a place you never dreamed possible. And you remember he healed his son. But here's the deal. You won't get there unless you first go through the dip, the valley. And this is exactly what Habakkuk and God are going to wrestle with in this book the next three weeks. And what many of you are wrestling with. Now watch as Habakkuk has simultaneous faith and questions. Habakkuk, this prophet and man of God. Watch how this plays itself out in his life. He asks God this question. He gets an answer from God that doesn't make sense and doesn't seem fair. And now listen to his response to God in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. That sounds like a person of faith to me, amen? He says, I know you're God. I know you're holy I know you're my God. I know you're everlasting. You're eternal. You can do anything, God. That sounds like great faith. Oh, Lord, you have appointed this. And then he says, we shall not die. Even though this doesn't make sense, I don't understand it. I know you're not going to completely annihilate your people. And he shows, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I still have faith in you, God. Great faith is, is displayed in the first half of verse 12. But in the midst of his faith, he still has some questions. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. I I understand what you just told me. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? These enemies, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and they're glad, these enemies and wicked people. Therefore, they sacrifice their net and burn incense to their dragnet, their false gods, because by them their their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. It's like you seem to be blessing these evil people. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? God, I, I, I love you. I believe in you. I have great faith in you, but yet I still have some questions. If you've ever been there, say yes. And some of you are there right now. God, I believe, but it's difficult. It doesn't all make sense. Some of you, as I said right now, you're 
heading down this dip. You're somewhere in here in this crisis of belief. You're in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. And you're wondering, what, what, what do I do? What, what, do you, what, what do I do when I'm in this crisis of belief in chapter 1 and I'm wondering? Well, next week we're going to move on to chapter 2. And I want to warn you, it doesn't get a whole lot better yet. Because chapter 1 is all about wondering. Chapter 2 is all about what we love to do, waiting. Waiting. And waiting. And waiting. And waiting. And waiting on God. We move from chapter 1 with Habakkuk who's wondering to chapter 2 with Habakkuk next week where he's waiting. But if you hang in there to chapter 3, and that's why none of you are going to miss any Sundays the next three weeks. (laughs) You can tell the Broncos are playing at 11 today. Hard to find a seat. (laughs) That's all right. Hey, you're here. You're here. Good job. Chapter 1 is wondering. Chapter 2 is waiting. But if you hang in there like Habakkuk, chapter 3 leads to worshiping. It leads to worshiping. So what are those of you who are in chapter 1 today do? Who are wondering? You're at a crisis of belief right now. You're, You're asking God, where are you? Where are you, God? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem fair. Some of you, it's like I followed your life the last month before this message. And you're like, that's me. I'm at a crisis of belief. I'm in chapter 1. I'm wondering. It doesn't make sense. What do I do? Here's what you do, church. You do the Habakkuk. And you embrace God. You embrace Him. His name means embrace. And you hang on for dear life. And you wrestle with God, with your questions. It's okay. He's a big God. He can handle it. You embrace God. You hold on to God. You wrestle with God, with your questions, with your tough questions, with your wondering. And when life doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem fair, and no matter what is going on, you hold on to Him and you never let go. Are you in chapter 1 with more questions than answers and things don't make sense? They don't seem fair. A crisis of belief. Will you hang on? Now listen, let me close with this. I can't promise you when you're in chapter one and you're hanging on in that Christ belief that things are necessarily going to get better right away. But I can promise you this. If you will embrace him and hang on, he will never let go of you. What did he say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Habakkuk, no nice little poem and feel-good story at the end to wrap all this up. Because sometimes when you're in chapter 1 of Habakkuk in the middle of a crisis of belief, all you can do is embrace him. Embrace him. Would you bow your heads this morning?